session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Talakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number 3104410555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. Let me get to the books of the week. The book for this week is Economic Dignity by Gene Sperling. Economic Dignity by Gene Sperling. Um, I've been reading a few books on uh, economics. My brother, Parham is an expert on economics. I learned so much from him. Um, and also, I've always find it very interesting and fascinating, but related to what's going on right now as far as what we're seeing in the news and so much conversation about race, race relations, racism, uh, and systemic racism here in the United States, uh, I think that, of course, it's a multifaceted situation and problem, and that also means that the solution will be multifaceted. And so uh, I think without economic reform and changes, we won't get rid of racism in the United States. There must be large-scale changes economically. So I'm trying to understand those aspects better. And I thought this book, judging it by just its title and a little bit that I read about it, uh, might address some of that, at least not necessarily related to race. I'm sure it'll come up in the book. But just from the perspective that when we look at economic progress, I'm always baffled that people just look at things like GDP, gross domestic product, or um, they look at some basic numbers of financial growth, but we're not looking at the experiences of all the people or how many people are living in poverty. Because if people are suffering, even if some people have more money, but many people are still barely making ends meet or don't have enough to make ends meet. I think it's difficult to say that the economy has been a success or it was a successful year for that economy. So looking forward to reading Gene Sperling's book, Economic Dignity, and sharing that with you next week. Uh, The book of the week from last week that I'm talking about tonight is Riot Baby by Tochi Onyabuchi. This was a really fascinating book. I Highly recommend it. It's also on the shorter side, so just about 176 pages, um, and it's a work of fiction. Most of the books I read on the show are nonfiction, but this one was a fiction book, and not only that, a science fiction book, um, which I found very interesting. Again, Riot Baby by Tochi Onyabuchi, um, and very relevant to what's going on now in the news and the riots that have happened recently and protests that are going on. Because it is science fiction, it takes place essentially in our world, but there's some twists to it. It does seem to go a little bit into the future, but a lot of the things that happen in America are happening in this book. And so race and racism um, is a big part of the book, as is things like the prison industrial complex and how so many individuals, especially some 
um, races, of course, African-Americans amongst them tend to be in a way set on a path where being in prison seems almost inevitable. And so Riot Baby, the title character is Kev. Um, he is born on the day of the Rodney King riots in Los Angeles, which was around 1992. Um, and so when he's born, they come out of the hospital and they see the essentially the city's on fire or that uh, the riots have been taking place. So that's where he gets that name, Riot, Riot Baby. But his sister, Ella, she seems to have or has these superpowers, um, the, the thing that she has, which she can do lots of things. It seems like she can move things. Even she kills a rat at one point quickly. I mean, this is like telepathically without actually doing something. Um, and then also can read people's minds or memories, go into the future. She can move things very powerful, almost to the point where um, she can't always control her power and it gets her into trouble. And so she even goes away from the fam, uh, the family. So we see this relationship uh, between Kev and Ella, which is really central to the book. Um, and again, it's uh, in our world, but also not in our world. And so what's kind of sad is even though it's science fiction and it's dystopic, um, it's a dystopia that many people in the United States experience as a reality now. Uh, African-Americans in the United States are experiencing a world different from the world that many others experience. And sometimes, or not sometimes, we can never know what it's like to be someone else or to have their experience. And the book paints this very dark vivid picture of what that experience might look like. And so Ella does have these superpowers, um, but Kev starts to develop them near the end of the book too, but Ella's are much more powerful. And it's interesting to see that dynamic between them. And of course, I'm not the author and I'm not someone who can make interpretations on the book, but I will make my own as far as my own opinions and things that I took from it. Um, so we have Kevin, Ella, and as I mentioned, Ella's very powerful. And so she um, almost loses control about her, um, her powers at times. And so she leaves and we see Kev as he develops and he gets, he starts as a baby. They're living in, um, uh, where do they live at the beginning of the book? They're, they get to Watts at the end, but I forgot what city they start in at the beginning, um, South Central Los Angeles. And then they move to Harlem, but then soon we see that he's in jail and we see uh, Kev go through these experiences as many African-Americans do, getting harassed by the police in a very almost expected way when you see the characters going through it. It's not some kind of surprise or something uh, uncommon. It's almost like they're expecting to get harassed. And eventually he ends up in prison in Rikers Island in New York. And he shares the experience of many people who sometimes were there for something petty or small, couldn't pay a fee, but then the absolute darkness of being in jail and the prison system is heartbreaking and just constant fights and threats being put in solitary confinement. At some point he um, gets kind of like a job working in the jail, talking to people who are on suicide watch, 
but just this darkness that is there. And while he's there, he can get visited by Ella. Sometimes physically she comes and visits him as a standard visitor, but also in these kind of visions where it's not quite clear. It's almost like the ghost of her comes. She's still alive, but you can visit him and they can communicate. So they have this kind of special way of communicating. Uh, and it can be heartbreaking. Sometimes they take a journey away from the jail and then he comes back um, which can be heartbreaking to see them. He leaves, he has freedom, but he never really has freedom and he comes back. But so looking at Ella's superpowers, some things came to my mind. Um, one was when there's that experience that she can't quite control it. And it made me think of the experience. Again, I'm speaking not on behalf of, but just my own understanding. I never could fully understand what it's like to be an African-American in the United States, but how I see some of the experience they must must go through, the challenges. Um, but that superpower that you can't quite control, it, it reminded me of the anger that many people can experience when they are oppressed. Naturally, you have that anger, and it can become so much that it can be hard to control or keep in, understandably, because it's too much. There's too much pain, too much oppression, and it makes you want to um, fight back. And also the way that she goes away, it reminded me of when we oppress groups of people, whatever that group may be, their powers are taken from us too. Of course, they're the, the ones who are the biggest victims of what's going on because they can't um, express themselves. They aren't given all the, the opportunities to be who they want to be. But also we as a society get deprived because we don't allow them to express those gifts um, and to show us who they are. So we all lose when that happens. And that's something that happened throughout the world. When we look at women's rights, um, the rights of African-Americans still in the United States and many groups still who are oppressed or stigmatized in different ways. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting kind of perspective that hit me as I was reading the book, looking at this girl with superpowers. And not only that, she has these superpowers, but she's unable to get her brother out of jail. So even with that power, she's still powerless to help her brother, her little brother, get out of jail heartbreakingly. And so we, we see that experience. And at times he wonders why can't he, she just burn everything to the ground or somehow get her out, but she never does. Um, and, and it could be that she doesn't want to get caught or be found of who she is, or maybe that would expose her. Um, but nonetheless, he spends his time in jail. And... Their dynamic also shifts. Their mother dies, and and now it's really, in a way, this two of them, but he's still in jail. And finally, he gets to go to Watts. But we see he experiences what many Americans experience who have gone to jail, gone to prison, that even though they get out, they don't really get out. They're still, um, in a way, prisoners because they can't quite live life the way everyone else can. I've read the book before, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, but I couldn't find my copy and I wanted to read it again. So I just got it again. I'll be reading that soon. But this talks about um, how there are a disproportionate amount of African-Americans, brown and black people in jail, but then also their experience after they've quote unquote done their time where they very often can't vote, can't, um, very hard to get a job, can't get access to certain social services, many ways that they are still disadvantaged. And so we see Kev he gets out of jail. He moves to Watts, which was the scene of riots in the 60s, also related to police brutality. And he is um, experiencing 
really what seems like not freedom exactly because he has to stay in this place. He also has to have a chip inserted in his thumb, which tracks him in, in so many ways, tracks where he is, of course, but also even tracks um, things in his system so he can't take drugs or alcohol. Uh, but also they can see that if he um, gets angry, they'll release some drugs. Or if he's feeling some experiences, they will they will exp- uh, release drugs into him to keep him quote-unquote balanced, which is um, kind of sad, but we see the sense of control that he ha- they have over him. So um, the book really, again, it's dystopic, but not quite that much of a dystopia in the sense that it's not that far removed from what's happening now. And it goes a little bit into the future. And the book ends, and I don't really want to spoil it, and it's left in a way not clearly expressing what's going to happen, but we feel the sense that Kevin Ella, of course, they're angry, which expresses also the anger of so many uh, individuals in this country who are experiencing this type of oppression or this type of experience. Um, and they want to seek revenge. And so, uh, or they, they seek revenge and it's, it's a little bit complicated, but Kev says he, it feels like freedom to finally be free of all this. And so I think what the book does really well is it paints this picture of a world that's very similar to ours. And then it seems like it's a little bit different from our world, but it's not really that different, which makes you see how dark it actually is when you think, oh, this is so exaggerated. But then you realize this might be the experience of many people who live in this country at this time. So that part of it is very powerful and deep. It paints a picture of a world that you might not experience, but it doesn't have to be science fiction or fantasy. Unfortunately, it can be the reality rather than a fantasy in the positive way. It might be the nightmare that many people are experiencing. And so... Right now, we're seeing a lot of people reading about different topics um, about race and racism in America, and that's good. It's been going on for a long time, and we need to do that reading, and I think that's important. I also think books like this, which is fiction, but paint so much of a vivid picture of what's going on from a different perspective, can also be valuable and very interesting. I bought this book a few months ago, and I try to always... um, read books and sometimes read different books at different times based on um, the, the patterns of things that are going on. And I felt like this would be a perfect book to read now. I was planning to read it any sometime soon anyway, but with the riots that are going on. And so that title, Riot Baby, is a um, interesting uh, glimpse into what has happened in the past. But as it is, is, is uh, clear in the book, it's what's happening now and what also unfortunately happens in the future. So that was Riot Baby by Tochi Onyabuchi. Very good book. I highly recommend it. Again, a fairly quick read. So if you'd like, um, check that out. Let me know what you think. And again, the book of the week for this week is Economic Dignity by Gene Sperling. But uh, we should be able to go in a minute. And I'm doing the Instagram Live. Might take some questions or callers there. And also on the show, um, I will talk about my experience this weekend, uh, going in part of the protests and what's happening there. Amir, are we ready to go? No, we're still waiting. Um, So yeah, I was was able to go to some of the protests this weekend, which was um, a combination of pride, which is for LGBTQ rights, but also with Black Lives Matter. And it was a very beautiful uh, experience uh, yesterday that I'll share more with you in the, in the coming segments. Um, but there was many people, and I guess we're actually good to go to the commercial break. So let's 
Let's do that. And we'll be right back. Welcome back. So, um, as I mentioned, this weekend uh, was Pride, which is a celebration of um, LGBTQ rights and just people in existence that we should recognize and value. And so um, I was able to go. There were some thoughts. Well, will they have to cancel it because of coronavirus? And this is a, you know, brings up a lot of um, gray areas, so to speak, because of course we're practicing social distancing, but then. If you feel like the reason is good enough, you might not practice it. And so um, I did participate in protests the last three weekends, uh, primarily for the Black Lives Matter movement. But this weekend, it was a pretty cool experience that um, the Black Lives Matter and the LGBTQ community came together and they had a protest or a pride that combined both. And they call it All Black Lives Matter to include that, of course, when we talk about any group, we have to keep in mind that no group is a monolith or homogeneous. They're not all the same. So even if someone, for example, talks about Iranians, there are uh, lots of different religions within being Iranian. Women have a very different experience than men. Um, different religions might experience certain types of um, discrimination or a different treatment because of that. Sexuality is also important. So if you're Iranian living in Iran and you're homosexual, your experience will be very different from someone who's not. So um, when we look at different people or different groups and we're fighting for different groups, we want to make sure, for example, when we fight for Black Lives Matter, it includes people who uh, might be from what we call a sexual minority or non-binary gender or non-traditional um, sexuality as far as being heterosexual, and also um, vice versa when you're talking about the rights of LGBTQ, you don't want to forget minorities. And so it was a interesting coming together. It was quite a beautiful um, afternoon to be a part of. I was very happy that I joined the march starting in Hollywood, coming towards West Hollywood, and just the experience of seeing so many people coming together to help one another, or trying to help people. Many people were not um, African-American. It seemed that many people were also not uh, LGBTQ based on signs ahead. I myself, um, you know, it was interesting. I got some responses from people. I, I posted pictures. I also got my phone. I think it was stolen <laughs> near the end of the March. So I didn't get to take as many pictures or post the one, some of the ones I had, um, taken, but I got some responses from people asking me was, am I gay that I was there? And it, it brings up a few thoughts for me. Um, the first one is that if we're helping or standing up for the rights of some people, we are supposed to be of that group or we think it's for people of that group, which hopefully it shouldn't be. All human beings should fight for all human rights for all human beings. That's something that I said last week when Javon Hicks was on the show, that we should, it shouldn't be that, am I part of that group? Does it affect me? Or sometimes you hear people say, I care about women's rights because I have a wife and I have daughters. And I, I can get that, not the whole statement of it. I can get that, of course, you might feel it even more closely in a certain way. You look into your daughter's eyes, you look into your wife's eyes, and you realize you know, it's important to fight for that. But we would hope that you also care about all human beings and their rights, even if you 
are into that, even if you don't know someone who is of that group, um, of, which of, of course itself is something to think about. But all of those uh, reasons should not be a reason you don't care about that group. So you should want to fight for the rights of every group, anyone who's being oppressed in some way. So, of course, I, w- I was there. Um, it was, I wanted to march for Black Lives Matter over the weekend, but also this march, I wanted to be a part of um, uh, Pride as well. Um, and so it was a wonderful opportunity. I had such a great experience. So I was there as a human being supporting the human rights of other people. Not to say I did something so great, but just a reminder that when we're standing up for human rights, it's for humans, not for certain humans or some people, or we have to have some kind of connection. It also brought up the question, the way I think it was asked a few times, there is still so much stigma attached to being part of the LGBTQ community um, in so many ways. And then also, with not within that, I should say, but one aspect of that for men, we see so much homophobia both towards people who are gay, but also this homophobia within ourselves of being so afraid to be seen as gay because it's seen as an attack on your manliness, your masculinity, and who you are. And and so people are so afraid of coming off that way that they have to make sure no one thinks that. I've thought about this before um, that I went to Pride this weekend, was that you'll see people wear shirts with like the rainbow on it, which is a symbol for the LGBTQ community. And I've seen men and women wear it, but the assumption even I had, and when I've talked to a few people, they had a similar one. Maybe it's wrong, but this is what I experienced was, of course, many people who are part of the LGBTQ community wear that symbol. But then if you saw a female wearing it, you would think it's possible she's heterosexual and just supporting them. But it was less likely for you to think that for a man because of that fear of coming off as gay, because that would be such a negative thing, attack against your masculinity, all those types of things, that they would likely not be wearing it unless they themselves are part of that community. And I think that's unfortunate, but I think it reflects how complicated these issues are when we're looking at, um, it's, uh, you know, in a very basic way, hopefully most people would think, yeah, everyone deserves human rights and we shouldn't discriminate against anyone. But then we see there, there's a lot of intricacies within these types of discussions and these issues that maybe for heterosexual men, they feel they shouldn't be outright about supporting gay rights or about supporting LGBTQ rights because people think maybe they are. And I've gotten that message before because I've talked about um, issues related to LGBTQ rights and uh, treating them, of course, with respect, understanding what's going on, understanding that it's not a sickness or illness. Of course, people are born in various ways. We've tended to assume there was some way of being, which was a very limited lens of part of how humans are, but humans can be lots of different things. Um, But so when I've talked about this issue before, some people can think, well, he must be gay if he's talking about it. Uh, And so um, I think that's sad and shows how much work we have left to do. And also, it's not just to blame men for being this way, let's say. Um, but because also that pressure is put on them from society. So these issues usually are much more complicated than just to blame a certain group for, let's say, thinking away or being afraid of coming off a certain way, but realizing that uh, we also can judge men a certain way if they are heterosexual or show some femininity or show a tender side. And and that can make them feel like, well, I I have to make sure I don't come off that way, which I think is very sad. So I, I got that 
um, comment from some people. And I, I mean, I don't know, I can't obviously read into their intention. They didn't write much more than that, but that was something that was asked by, by more than one person. Um, and then I also still got the post related to All Lives Matter. And I feel like I've talked about this so many times, so I'm assuming people that will write that to me have not listened to the shows recently, and I've talked about this in years past. As a standalone comment, All Lives Matter does not sound bad. It sounds very good. Uh, who would want to be against that? But when you understand, or when we look at the context, All Lives Matter as a hashtag or slogan came in response to Black Lives Matter, which was essentially saying, look at how we are losing people. Uh, people are dying. People are being treated a certain way. It is as if their lives don't matter. We need to make sure Black Lives Matter. So it wasn't saying they matter more that they are the only ones that matter. They're actually saying, look, when people are being killed, it's being treated almost as if they don't matter. This is not okay. And also keep in mind, when we're talking about slogans and hashtags. They can't be comprehensive. It can't be a full-on essay. And they try to make a point very uh, shortly and quickly, and it, it makes um, a message that then can be passed along. And so when someone tells you Black Lives Matter, and then you come back and say, no, all lives matter what you're saying is you and what you're saying does not matter we're going to try to quiet what you are doing and just take away and make it a global thing um, when i was talking to dr nushin valizad on the show a few weeks ago uh, i this example came up of you know it's like if you were living in a country where women weren't allowed to vote and you said women deserve to vote and then everyone responded everyone deserves to vote let's not talk about the right of women everyone well, well the whole point is we're saying women deserve to vote because they have not been given that opportunity. Once they are given that opportunity, then yes, it'll be everyone's vote will count and will matter, which is also what other people say. We can't say all lives matter until black lives matter. So what I usually see is people say all lives matter as the end of the discussion. They're not saying all lives matter, so let's make sure they do. Let's make sure we um, address systemic racism in this country and see what we can do about it. They just say it as a end of the argument, end of the discussion type of a thing. And I think that's the problem. So I think one needs to look a little bit closer at the issue and not get um, persuaded by this specious argument of, well, look, all lives matter. So um, isn't that a good thing? All lives? I'm not saying something bad. But when you realize you're saying it to a group of people who are being treated poorly, facing systemic oppression and racism, it seems very mean and sad to say it in that way. Um, and also heartbreaking to see that, you know, I try to stay up to date in general, even before I did this show, but of course I'm not going to know about everything, but I try to pay even more attention to the news and current events because I want to be able to talk about them on this show. But it's so heartbreaking that I can't even see, there's so many cases of the African-Americans being treated poorly, of being killed, that I can't keep track of all of them. And of course, this is not something new. It's just that more of them are being put in the media. There's being more images, both pictures and videos being put forward. So we're seeing it more, but not that it's, it's happening more. Uh, it's always been happening. And people would talk about it and we just would think, oh, they're maybe complaining or maybe you think they're just saying something or they're exaggerating something. And now we actually see it and we say, okay, uh, this is a real problem. So the problem is not new. The visibility of it is new. And so um, Rayshard Brooks 
The case just happened Friday night, uh, and I've seen some of the, the news on that. And again, another man dead, 27 years old, I believe. And then seeing today uh, his family having a press conference, it was just uh, heartbreaking. And, you know, I tell you to watch it with um, the disclaimer that it is intense, very hard to watch. But I think it's important to watch the experience of pain that people go through, that when we talk about these issues, um, we're not just talking about a number or a statistic that, okay, another black man has died. What's the, what's the count? Of course, we want to look at those numbers because they are also heartbreaking and not okay. But we want to look at each life, and this is what we're talking about when they say black lives matter. Look at the value of this human being, he himself. He was a father. He was a husband. He was, of course, a family member to other people, in a, and he's now gone over something um, or that his death definitely could have been and should have been avoided. And that's what we want to look at. So we want to make sure his life matters. And that's important to keep in mind that we're not talking about something trivial. We're not, I'm not trying to make it political. I understand it is coming off political because it's become very split to a lot of people. Thankfully, we're seeing a lot more unity on this topic now. Still not complete unity, of course, but more unity that systemic racism exists in the United States. Police brutality is a real problem in this country, which means we need to have reform that is very broad in how, how we look at police and policing and what's happening. Um, but this is why we're fighting for Black Lives Matter, is that people's lives are not given the appropriate weight they should. People are dying and, and nothing's being done and we're not realizing how can we prevent these deaths. We have to do something about it. So I do encourage you to watch things like that press conference, not because I want you to be sad, but because their pain is very real and we need to, to see that pain to recognize that this is a real problem, that this is about real lives, real families, real human beings, and, and something must be done. So um, I'm sure I'll still get those messages of All Lives Matter, but I'll continue to talk about Black Lives Matter um, as a movement and as also uh, a human rights issue. As I was saying, these things become very politicized, but to me it's about human rights. That's why I was at Pride, because I think the LGBTQ community still faces a lot of stigmatization and oppression and deserves to have equal rights, and so I'll, I will fight for them and, of course, for Black Lives Matter as well. So let's go to our last commercial break. Um, I'll talk a bit more about these issues on the next segment. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in the previous segment, I was talking about going to the uh, Pride this weekend, which was in a way a combination of Pride and the LGBTQ uh, community together in Black Lives Matter. And it was actually interesting. I read a little bit about what happened, and I'm not sure, I don't have all the details, but they were planning to do um, some kind of a pride that combined also the BLM, Black Lives Matter movement. And then they realized we shouldn't be planning it as the pride organization itself. We should allow the, I think, I'm not sure exactly the name of the group, but it was the LGBTQ um, group that also was at, from with African-American um membership and so they wanted them to plan the event also there was no police as far as there was no police everything was safe i think uh, that was nice um, to see but it was also very interesting to see this combination of people who 
really you felt this energy of just people wanting for everyone to have the rights to be themselves and to live in this country and also of course around the world but specifically fighting in this country to be who they are be who they are how they were born and who they want to be and that's really all we can ask for or we not really all we can ask for we, that should be a minimum of what we can ask for that reminds me of a sign i've seen that says matter is the minimum so when we talk about black lives matter um that mattering is the minimum and so even that slogan to me was said in some way it's almost like in jest like like they matter i mean this is like a minimum how could they not matter which is heartbreaking but of course they're more than they should be more than just matter just like lgbtq uh, community they should more than matter as well uh, and you felt that energy that people were just supporting each other loving each other um, i think that was a nice thing about these two movements coming together and, and in a way combining their forces and that energy um, that we all need to be supporting each other and i had you know a lot of different experiences seeing so many people um, and, and seeing them you know just with energy and, and wanting to fight but fight for good you felt the anger but channeled in a good way where this is injustice we want to support the rights of all of our brothers and sisters whoever they are whatever fight that they're fighting um and you know sometimes i'd have these moments i'm walking and someone's walking in front of you and especially with masks and different things i couldn't quite tell who they were even that's a funny thing to say who they were you know if they're male female of course you sexual orientation or identity you always can't tell for various things and i would just feel this sense of compassion for them i know it can sound almost cheesy um but i felt this compassion that i'm this person's in front of me walking and i'm walking with them and in a way that's nice too we're walking on the same path but i don't know who they are i don't know if they're male female gay straight transgender whatever i don't know and even sometimes their race maybe i can't see by what they're wearing skin color any of that but i can feel compassion for them and that's it i can just feel love for them that this person deserves respect this person deserves to be taken care of to have their basic human needs met it doesn't matter i don't need to know anything else they're a human being they deserve those things and so i had this moment come up a few times where i felt this feeling of compassion and love and realizing these people just want to be whoever they are again they might have been lgbt they might not have been they just want the right to be themselves and to be um, a human being and to be respected and appreciated and, and so that was interesting this this feeling that i would have looking around and just seeing these people with me walking together and feeling that what difference does it make to me if they're gay or straight if they oh this is this person is he attracted to men or women what what difference does it make is this person uh identify as a male or female or what part of or non-binary what difference does that make in my treating them with care and respect and for feeling that they des- that they deserve rights and i've talked about this a lot recently in relation to what's been going on with race and racism and those discussions that you know oftentimes we can look back look at slavery um look at the holocaust look at different times in history and think i can't believe people accepted that or that was okay now of course slavery and genocide still exist in the world in different maybe forms but they're still there but even still let's say these blatant types of slavery and, and genocide um we can look at them and think wow i can't believe people accepted that or that was okay 
But I always say what you have to do is try your best to look at the time you're living in and think in the future, what will people look back on our time now and be amazed of what we accepted or what we were okay with or what we didn't realize was a huge injustice? I think race and racism is going to be a big one. I, I just can't imagine that people won't look back at us and, and laugh, laugh in the sense that what our thinking was laughable. Um, that people were treated worse because of their skin color, because of some background. I think it's laughable in the sense that the logic is laughable, but what's happening is very sad and not funny at all. Um, but I think when it comes to LGBTQ community, the same thing will, will happen. People will look back and wonder, why did people care if someone says, I identify more as male or female or neither, or what, what does that mean to you? Um, you know, sometimes people say, you know, they change, someone wants to change their name. If your friend said, Hey, you know, my, I know my name is Thomas, but you know, I like if you call me Tom or now if he says, I think you, I want you to call me Terry or whatever other name, that's how that person identifies. It's not something for you to decide for them. Um, even this mindset that we have, of just putting things or just two types or even with sexuality, one type, everyone is uh, heterosexual and the rest is just wrong or, you know, immoral or all these types of things. It's a very, to me, closed minded and limited way of looking at human beings. Um, even when people talk about gender being binary, there's just, you know, man, woman, there's nothing else. You know, what I often think is asking someone with that mindset, well, have you ever thought of someone and said, that's a very manly man? And most people can say yes, and we have some image of what that looks like. And then maybe a more or less manly or masculine in the traditional sense, man, you can probably imagine that as well. So even though we think it's binary, it's two things, most of us wouldn't even see it that way, or we don't think of it that way. And like I said, sometimes we don't know. You can't really tell someone is male, female. You, you don't really know for sure, or if they identify as man or woman. You don't know he, she, what they want to be. Um, and I talked about the book, uh, What's Your Pronoun, as a book of the week, maybe two months ago. And that's very relevant here. This whole he, she conversation, which has become so politicized. I definitely liked his, uh, I think it was Dennis Barron was the name of the author. His uh, argument for using they in a singular sense, I think makes sense when you're writing or when you're talking and you don't know. And very often we do that. You know, the common example he used is, if someone called for you, I would say, oh, hey, someone called for you. And you say, oh, really? Did they leave a message? That's how you would respond, um, thinking that that's how you uh, would say it pretty naturally. You use that singular they. But anyway, so this pronoun argument has become so politicized. You know, if someone says they want to be called this or they feel they are this, who are you to tell them what they are or what they aren't? That's, that's for them to decide and for them to say and to judge someone. So someone was born male, but feels more woman, more female, what difference does that make to you to tell them they shouldn't be that way, that they should not, uh, you know, be allowed to say that for themselves? Um, today, thankfully, there was some good news in the United States. The Supreme Court, which um, right now, traditionally, it seems like they're, they're more conservative. Five to four would be conservative versus liberal. So usually cases 
related to LGBTQ rights, you would assume would swing more in the conservative side. But um, there's a big ruling that protects um, people who are transgender and basically LGBTQ community members who are not um, heterosexual from being discriminated against in their work, that it extended other laws, federal laws, forbidding the discrimination based on things like sex or race um, to the LGBTQ community. And this was great news. Of course, some people are upset about it. There's going to be people who are divided on these issues. Six to three, which also, that meant the two of the conservative judges ruled in favor of making it so that you could not discriminate against an employee based on their sexual orientation or their um, being uh, transgender which I think is wonderful, and I'm very happy to, to see that. So this was some good news. Um, but I hope, again, we'll look back or we'll try to look as if someone looking back on our time and think what would people be shocked that we cared about. And I think this would be one of those issues. And so people are born in different ways. They have different experiences, different expressions, Um you know, people ask me, is being bisexual a real thing? Um, we're not talking about unicorns when we're talking about bisexuality. It's a very real thing. People can be attracted to both sexes. Or even it's more complicated than that because you might be attracted to certain types of men or women only or both. It's a very, uh, it's much more of a spectrum than about two categories, the way we like to put that. And I think it's unfortunate that we think it has to be that way. I get that it's simpler to just think there's just two. Everyone is either man or woman or that everyone is straight and everyone else has a problem or is sick. Uh, even I must say, as uh, a clinical psychologist, I am, I mean, embarrassed that even just a few, uh, I don't know, decades ago, it was considered a mental illness to be homosexual. It was actually in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is like the Bible of what's a mental disorder. It was in there as a mental disorder. Thankfully, it's now been removed. Um, I forgot exactly the year, if the 60s or 70s, or maybe it was even later than that. Um, but that's heartbreaking to think we thought of it as a mental illness, something to be fixed. And, and that, that mindset still exists. I actually don't know as much, but I know in Iran, being homosexual can be uh, punished by death still. As far as I know, sometimes that happens. Um, and it's really heartbreaking to think someone being born a certain way uh, makes us feel like we should treat them a certain way, which is horrible, treating them bad. And I think that's that's heartbreaking. And we have to really face ourselves. Uh, I, I always tell people, if you are prejudiced against any group, um, you should ask yourself, what is it about me that makes me hate that group? Not what is bad about them. Um, so if it's an ethnic group, a religious group, whatever it might be, you got to ask yourself, why am I not liking them? And it brings up a lot of things. And with the last four or five minutes I have left, I won't be able to get into all of it. And it's a very complicated type of conversation that I really can't speak on all of it. But I think issues related to sexual orientation brings up things in us about who am I? What do I like? Am I a deviant? Um, different things of that nature. We know very often people who are very homophobic or hate, let's say, gay people, they're more likely to have some homosexual tendencies within themselves. 
So it's something within themselves they can't tolerate or accept that they're projecting out. We call it a reaction formation, and they are um, attacking you know, it on the outside. We're trying to hurt people to show, look how not gay I am, that I hate gay people this much. But really it's a reflection of something within yourself. I think it's from Shakespeare, thou doth protesteth too much. When you are too much against something, it actually could be alarming. Why are you so strongly uh, against this hating a certain group of people? And, and so it can also be an expression of your toughness or masculinity that I hate gay people so much or LGBTQ people so much because of look how tough I am, which is heartbreaking. To me, there's no strength in hating any group or being against any group of people. It only is a sign of weakness. And so uh, we shouldn't feel strong if we dislike a group of people for being who they are. And soon I'll talk in upcoming shows also about racism I've talked about in the Iranian community to other races, but even amongst Iranians, we have so much prejudice. And so soon I'll be reading this book, Afro-Iran, which I'm really looking forward to reading, where we see there are people of black skin color in Iran. They are Iranian. And um, just like there are different groups, I've heard a lot of uh, you can call it racist, I guess, um, things about, for example, Afghans in the uh, Iranian community, the way they might look at people who are of Afghan background, but in Iran or speaking Farsi. And it's heartbreaking that we have all these prejudices, but it's something we have to take a look at. And unfortunately, when prejudice exists long enough, the people who hold it think it's some kind of truth. So if you think that this group is worse than this group, um, you make your world look that way. And even we make the world look that way, unfortunately, which is also something you've seen in the United States with the African-American community. They've been treated so poorly. They've been hurt in so many ways. There's systemic racism. And then on top of that, we say, well, look at the results, not looking that if you are creating a certain situation, of course, you're going to get this result. You know, I like this message that I've seen a few times now saying that it's not that the system is broken. This is the way the system was created to work in this way. That way that's why we have to dismantle the whole system uh, from the ground up to change how things are. And so um, we have to try to look at ourselves and our own racist or prejudiced types of beliefs that we have. We all have them. So it's not enough to say, oh, look at these bad people, and I hope I'm not coming off that way. I myself am trying to constantly, constantly evaluate myself and who I am different thoughts, prejudices, assumptions I might make without even realizing it. And this mindset that rather than just being against racism, that's not enough. We have to be anti-racist within ourselves first and then in the world, I think is very important. So I had a wonderful experience this weekend marching in the Pride and the Black Lives Matter um, parade. Uh, it was really good experience, very inspiring, motivating. I'm so happy that I was a part of it. And I hope all of you will join with me in fighting for the human rights of anyone who is um, being oppressed in some ways. And we know that the LGBTQ community around the world still faces a lot of discrimination. And of course, African-Americans in the United States also. So these topics will be coming up a lot on the show. Um, please send your suggestions my way, always looking for them. But we do got to end the show for tonight. A big thank you to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Lokwi. Have a wonderful night. Mm-hmm.